The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. It's homecoming week, ETSU and Mercer on Thursday. We'll bring you the breakdown between the Bucks and the Bears. Bucks, ETSU. After three of the first four on the road will finally be at home. We'll break down the Sanford Bulldog game. We'll take a look at Southern Conference Top 25, Pick 6, all the good fun stuff uh, that we normally do on a Tuesday, Review Tuesday, Recap Tuesday. Yes. I don't know whatever it's called. What do you call it? Recap Back, it's a Tuesday show. Tuesday show. Tuesday show. Tuesday or something. No, I can't. We can't do too much with that because then we might have to pay for it. Um, Yes, we will review the pick six, which went okay for me and not too badly for you, but not enough to close the game. Yeah, I know. I know you don't. I know you've given up. You just rolled over. They're like. I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> well, I'm glad I don't do bold prediction anymore because I think I gave Kevin Brown, uh, before I left Friday, three bold predictions on the game. All of them were wrong? Yeah. Well, isn't that kind of – I always thought that was kind of the point it of that is, segment. It, it is. I mean, because the argument is, if, you know, if you're over 500 bold predictions, are they really bold? I mean, you could be yeah. the smartest uh, person out there, but generally speaking, you know, I just like to have a little smarter guy. So. I can see the future. We will, we'll, we can review the pick six, where you pick six of them, and some of them, well, actually you picked seven. It's the pick six that's seven, and some of them were even it right. sounds like my math. Some of them were even right, yeah. What well, was like the Big Ten that was 11 for a long time? When that's they true. had a Penn State. Yeah, the 11 so. logo, remember that? They had the weird 11 yeah. logo. Yeah. So. Now it's just B1G, and um, it's going to be 18. So now you can just put like a half little thing to split the I was going to say, at 16, you could get B1G and it would just be like, you know, you could put the six in there and it'd be like a subtle thing. Like, we are actually the Big Ten, but we got a lot. We've been 10 teams. Anyway, let's get to ETSU and Samford uh, Bucks, uh, 21-21 at the half. Um, second half, whether Samford made some adjustments in protection to keep hires clean or – ETSU just couldn't get the same level of pressure. Offense was not driving the field in the third quarter. That let the Bulldogs separate. They win it 42-28. to I think a little of both. I think uh, they did a good job, Sanford, of a little shorter, quicker passes early. Yep. And, but the more they got drives going, I think the depth at the D-line and linebackers started to show a little bit because ETSU, when they couldn't get pressure, hires looked like seen before, but watching film this season, if you can get him to move literally mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. I mean a sidestep, not even a flush, but if you can get him to move a little bit, he has not been particularly accurate. Now, he's allowed to sit there, he has picked the teams apart, and going back and even watching a little bit of the Chattanooga game, just to make sure I didn't misremember stuff, mm-hmm. the only clean throw that I saw in the Chattanooga game, and I went back and watched it all, and ETSU 
is yeah. the issue. And the one against Chattanooga, I don't think is a miss. Is somebody missed a block that goes for an INT pick six. But when he yeah. is allowed to throw on rhythm and stay put, he looked really good against Chat. Now, Chat got more pressures, especially in the second half, than ETSU did. But he looked very similar in both of those. Like, he just did not look. It doesn't look comfortable, and he misses if he has to move. But he was 26-28 and 28 with one drop by Chandler Smith. And he was flushed on the other one in which he threw it out of bounds. Uh, trying to throw an out route across the field. Yeah. That being said, several things to talk about on the good. I thought ETSU was able to run the football, which Sanford is okay. Trying to give up runs. I don't know they want to give up as many as they did in that one. ETSU in the red zone finally got touchdowns as opposed to kicking field goals. I thought that was obviously a, a positive to it. I thought they mixed some different runners in there that – I think we, you know, Bryson Irby hits the big 70-yard run, and I think he even said in the press conference on Monday, I need to run with more confidence. And I think that's good to hear from him. Because if you've watched enough football and you see enough running backs, and even the running backs on the same team, I think you can see sometimes he can be a little bit tentative trying to attack the hole to get through. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where if you're scared to attack it, it closes and – it's like because you're scared to attack it because it might close by the time you get there. Well, if you don't attack it at all, then it closes before you ever get there. And um, it just kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas you see guys like Zach Borish, Tory Lambert, they see a crease where they know where the play is supposed to go, and they just go for it. And I, I, I like that. And I think that's something that can – if that rubs off on Irby, then Irby is going to be great. But I, I do think there is an opportunity for more of Zach Borish, certainly. Um, I am a, I'm going to remain pretty high on Torrey Lambert. I, I think this is somebody who could probably play more than the four games. He's only played, what, two now. He played Austin P and he played um, uh, Sanford. So um, very curious about that. The run game did start to sputter once Zach Teeter went down with an injury. Um George Quarles on Monday said he's questionable for Mercer. I think that's a pretty significant uh, as a calf strain, yes. Um, so pretty significant uh, uh, shift for ETSU uh, in the offensive line because Quarles said it, and I agree, the line looks better with Teeter at left guard. And I think when you have certainly – Teeter and Everhart at your guards and Smith in the center spot. Um, and then Braxton Ship is playing with the club at, at right tackle. And Steven Flores is playing, you know, down 20 pounds to even some of the guys that he's blocking. Uh, I think when you put Teeter out there, it makes that whole unit better. And it lets, you know, Flores and his footwork and his hand placement really start to shine. Where he doesn't have the mass to necessarily be, you know, moving the sled all that much. He's still really good at getting himself in position and can be an effective pass blocker that way. Um, I really want to see this line with a couple of games with a healthy five, and I hope we get it. We'll see if we get it. Uh, But there was a noticeable difference when Teeter left the game as to how effective ETSU's run game was. And and just in the third quarter – in general, I, I thought that's really where you know ETSU struggled the most, and it's where Sanford was able to pull away and to to 
put that in further context, ETSU uh, 0 for 1 on third downs. They got four first downs in the entire third quarter. Sanford got 10. And Sanford was 2 for 3 on third down. Sanford ran 23 plays, and ETSU ran 12. And when you're not driving the field and you're not ramping up that play count, that's when you really start to feel it on the other side of the ball. It's not entirely about time of possession because Sanford ran 11 more plays than ETSU did, but they only had the ball for 11 more seconds. So they can run those plays in a very short amount of time, and the, the point is you need, to, you need to run a lot of plays and you need to have long drives, not just time of possession-wise, but in terms of number of plays, you need to move down the field against this team. And, and in the third quarter, ETSU just didn't do that. And that's what ultimately, I think, cost them the game because they were in it at halftime. You know, the, third, the fourth quarter was what it was. I mean, the game was already kind of in Sanford's hands at that point. But ETSU never quit. They kept battling. They found a way to come back, make some plays in the fourth quarter. It's just that third 15-minute session that, that did them in. And I, I don't think they were that far away from this being a very dramatic outcome at the end of the football game. Uh, but it's stuff that we talked about a good chunk of the season. It's stuff that we talked about coming into the week, things that ETSU needed to be able to do that they weren't able to do. And then when you put Sanford out there for two dozen plays and you put them out there for a total of 92 plays and you have a defense that's just not got the depth that you want it to have, particularly at corner where they can stress you, they I – mean, it, this this is what happens. What happens is exactly what happened to ETSU on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of – I mean, there's some positives. I mean, I there Tommy, are. Tommy Witt the third looked really good. Went looked uh, good. We already talked about the run game. Uh, um, Sheldon Arnold had him the first half to remember a couple of interceptions and a fumble recovery. I want to ask him about the fumble because I feel like that's one that could have been a scoop and score. And he just, he's just thinking ball, 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 ball. Right. I think if he could have thought about, okay, it's fourth down, so no matter who recovers it, it's your ball. Right. That's the one time to, like, take a shot to doesn't really matter if you recover or not, so try to pick it up and score. But sometimes I think you're just you, – Heat you know, of the moment is right, just – yeah. just get the ball. You yeah. Know, which, which they did. I thought another one, ETSU gave up that long pass right before the half fall down 21-14 and was able to get nine plays, 75 yards in a minute. That was good. And really looked good kind of doing it uh, in the two-minute drill. And I think that kind of got Rydell going. Kind of my negatives or downside, I think it just took Rydell a while to get back in the game playing ability. I don't, I don't really get it. It's not game shape. That it wasn't right. game shape. But game like, comfort. Yeah, because one for seven to start with, finished seven to 12. Um, you know, him and Huzzy weren't on the same page, which is unusual because those guys have always been on the same page. And then the injuries that came in. Ty, um, Rainey, right? Tyree Rainey's out for the season. Yeah. With the knee. DeAndre Davis is now done for the season. He tried to yep. play. Cole West is probably done for the season with that broken foot. Just depends on how it heals. Noah West. Noah West, sorry. And Noah West might be able to play, you know, depending on how it works out at the end of the year. But because he's played that four games, you know, Two, mm-hmm. you know, he could, and he does have an injury again, which would be very. He would 
have to have some great heat to, to be back by the end of the season. So he's out now the tight end room, which you were sitting there going, okay, Campbell is going to design. He's got West. He's going to be able to ball people, help you out a little bit in the pass game. And they're both and hurt. you got Tim Stayschool, by the way. He's out with a hip injury, not going to be able to go. Now you're down to our boy Biscuits, who we do love. We love Frierson. Mm-hmm. And he does have amazing hands. But as a blocker, I think he's probably third or fourth on the depth chart for a reason. And so now you're talking about two tight ends and Juwan Martin to kind of fill that role in a, either a two tight end set or, you know, depending on, you know, or jump up because sometimes I like to go the three tight ends. Um, yeah. And now you're talking about the, the local kid in Iverston. Iverster. Iverster and Martin. Clayton Iverster. I, I, honestly, I would put Washawn out there as a tight end. Well, I mean, again, you, you may have to be creative on, on, on what you do. And, again, you don't have to actually, yeah, you just put an extra lineman. Yeah, you know, call yeah, just end. use an extra lineman. You'll if you're going jumbo them. package, then just yeah, stick an extra lineman yeah, out there and, and do that. Uh, and I mean, you can do any of that. Uh, but yeah. I think they're going to have to be creative with that. Uh, I thought again, third downs they got three conversions, which is better. But three for ten is not particularly great against a team that was giving up forty-seven percent. No, fifty-six percent in conference. Um, forcing turnovers—that was something they haven't done all year. They were great at that. Forced four of them. And those turnovers came off of pressure on the quarterback. And also, I mean, the, the, the Crittenden fumble was poor execution on Sanford's part. And they just kind of, it was weird because it almost seemed like they just kind of gave up on it, like yeah, it was a practice play. I have no idea. But ETSU dove on that, capitalized on that. Um, you know, there's an unforced error. And uh, they forced what looked like unforced errors out of Michael Hires with a couple of interceptions. I mean, the, the one where he o- just overthrows his receiver – comes from pressure. It comes from the fact that yeah, he's getting heated right up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It comes from pressure to create problems for the quarterback in the pocket, forces him to make suboptimal decisions, and sometimes he misjudges what he has to do, and he throws the ball over the receiver's head and right to the safety who's sitting in the spot. Thank you very much. I thought again, Davis got hurt. Davis got hurt, so he eventually had to step in there. And, of course, Nate Brackett was unbelievable again uh, in the punt game. Nate Brackett might be an All-American punter. I mean, the, the dude has been ridiculous from the jump. And I um, – somebody asked me what his story was last year, and, and to be honest, I don't really know if he was injured or if he, he just – just lost the jump. Mm. He, just, he just, you know, again, we had Robert Harper ask him at halftime because I had been told – high school. And so basically what he had told Robert was, well, I was the punter. I was the quarterback of the punter, but it was more punting by default because nobody else could literally kick the ball. Sure. So I don't, I don't consider myself a punter. And then, you know, he walked on ETSU basketball, decided that wasn't really what he wanted to do, and yep. asked the team if he could come out. You know, they didn't really need any more quarterbacks, and they said, well, we're not going to try to punt. He punted a few, like, ah, he's got a leg. We'll, we'll let him, you know, sit there and kind of work on it. And then he was the starting punter two seasons ago. And then he lost it to Kelly, yep, and now he's got it back. And he looks – I mean, no, had it from the jump of camp. I was clearly like – you know, we, I, you had told me about Mendoza, and I'm excited about Mendoza. Yeah, it sounds like off his legs. Yeah, that's, and, and it, it really does. Like, it, you make it sound like that's some sort of, like, 
esoteric inside baseball thing. No, it literally sounds different. It sounds like a, an, an artillery piece has gone off in the distance. Um, but Brackett was phenomenal. And he was getting all kinds of distance on the ball, and he was getting hang time on the ball. And I was like, where did this guy come from? And he had just been sitting on the bench the whole time. I think he could be the, I think he could be an All-American punter. And if Devron Harper doesn't stop fumbling the football, I think Brackett should also be the special teams player of the year. And the SoCon. That's just my take. Yeah, and that was the one – one of the few positions we talked about, we don't know what we're going to get from that position, and it's been yep. a little bit of a struggle. You know, ETSU's been able to have punters that have been really good at pinning teams inside the 20, inside the 10, but when you needed somebody to get it out of the back of your uh, you know, end zone or something, not right. able to get right, right. 40, 50, 60, and flip the field with just a punt. And so Brackett's been able to do that. Last thing I guess I want to touch on was something uh, that Coach said on the coaches' show last night, Coach George Quarles. Luke Smith and Chris Everhart graded out the high secondary out all season and are really starting to kind of gel there. And so, again, this was an offensive line. Not one guy had played a snap with another one going into the year. So I think there were going to have to be growing pains because, one, a lot of those guys are coming in the program new, or Chris Everhart, who's in the second year, has to learn a new system in two years. So you've got to learn stuff. Plus, uh, Jake Lerner, the offensive line coach, we raved about him. I think he's going to do great things. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take time for that to go. If they continue to grow, and I think the test will be this week against Spurs, and I won't give away all my stats I'm going to talk about, but last year's rushing attack was abysmal, uh, particularly against Spurs. It wasn't bad all year if you look at the numbers overall, but they were held uh, under 100 yards on 30 carries last year, and a big reason why they weren't able to really to be in the game, and Mercer, let's be honest, had that circled because of how the championship game ended the year ago, and, yeah. you know, it clearly showed um, the very next week how they got hammered by Chattanooga because it looked like they were gassed, but I don't want to give away all, all the stuff I've got from Thursday's breakdown, but I think BTSU can continue to run the football. I think Rydell's going to be better this week because I think he's just going to be a lot more comfortable and trusting of the shoulder. He took some hits, he ran the ball, he was gunshot to run it early, he ran it late. But if Teeter's there, now that's going to be the biggest question, but if Teeter's there and ETSU can run the football with a couple different dynamic running backs that all do different things, I think that's going to bode well for the home game on Saturday. Yes, and I think all of those boil down to, or, or rather, I guess, bottle up, stack up to ETSU needs to drive the field with more consistency. Um, the Bucks crossed the Samford 40 – Trying to do the math here. One, two, three, four, technically five times, but one of those was the Irby run that started at the ETSU 30. So we'll say four times. Um, two of those four started inside the 40. Um, one of them started at the 28, was the two-minute drill at the end of the half, and then the other one ended in a turnover on downs. Yeah, and a couple. Uh, yes, they had one at the end, had, but had, the game was kind of over by right, that point. Right, and the fourth and two play uh, in the third quarter did, didn't convert that. And, I mean, Geyer Dance probably should have caught the ball, but yeah, still but down it, with a couple minutes. What was it, two, three minutes left? Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it was uh, 8.35 left in the third at that point. Uh, with the with the first turnover on downs at the 30? 
Oh, yeah, no, I meant the second one. Oh, the second one? Yeah, there's 340 left. Yeah, so there's 340 left. You know, like, like, you know, like I said, um, things to take away from it, we'll get into that sort of Thursday uh, breakdown of the Mercer Bears, uh, the homecoming game coming up Saturday, 49-14. Citadel, though, looked pretty good early. Actually had a couple of touchdowns called back. I didn't see the second call. The first call looked quite a bit iffy. Um, I don't wouldn't matter in the game. But Citadel was able to look a little better offensively. Uh, the most points they've scored all year at 14, but Western Carolina still looks the part as the dominant Southern Conference team to me. Are you talking about Western? Western. Yes. Western is the best team in the SoCon. Mercer for the first time. This, this, I, I, I am not kidding. This is the best Western Carolina team in forty years. This team is extraordinary. Like they are the real deal. Their offensive line is that good. Des Reed is a stud. Their receivers are awesome. Gonzalez is figuring it out, and their defense doesn't make nearly as many boneheaded mistakes as they did a season ago. This is the best Western team. Since 1983. Mercer, BMI, Mercer hit a home run ball with Al Wooten on the first play of the game. Actually, not even home run ball. It was yes. a uh, counter play to the right side, 77 yards, I think it was. Uh, 38-3, but it was really, honestly, VMI's defense got put in bad spots, and Mercer didn't really have success driving the length of the field. They had mm-hmm. uh, one long pass, one long run. Other than that, they took advantage of short fields, which good teams do. And they ended up uh, routing BMI 38-3. to And then Chat Wofford was an interesting game. I've talked about it. I thought Artopius had taken a lot of kind of chances down the field that he's gotten away with with completions or the ball just kind of falling down harmlessly. He took two bad chances against Wofford. They made him pay yeah. uh, with a couple interceptions. That kept Wofford into it. But Chat does score 17 unanswered to win the contest 23-13 which was a lot tighter now was Chad maybe looking ahead to this week's matchup against Western Carolina not sure but Artopius did uh, recover in the game didn't have quite the gaudy numbers um, that he had had in in previous just 197 yards no touchdowns and two picks did scramble in for a touchdown a limb for it 11 carries for 31 yards yeah Gino Appleberry, clearly the better of the two. Uh, Chattanooga's run game is perplexing, to say the least. Um, Artopius definitely kept Wofford in that game a little bit. Uh, Wofford gave some back. Seeley threw a pick right over. The, I mean, just between the hashes, middle of the field, should have thrown it anywhere else. I don't think he ever saw the linebacker. And then Chattanooga drove that, tied the game. That was it. Uh, once, once Chattanooga was able to tie it, Wofford wasn't going to be able to play with the kind of tempo that they needed 
to beat chat straight up. So they needed to take advantage of some early mistakes. They did. Then they needed to hang on, and that's the hard part. Um, but definitely, you know, I mean, if you're in ETSU's position and you haven't beaten a D1 team yet, you can't take any of these games for granted. You say, oh, well, Wofford's not very good. Who beat Wofford? Are you sure about that? Because ETSU hasn't beaten a D1 team yet. How can you say that when we haven't beaten a D1 team yet? Um, take none of these for granted. Take them all seriously. Um, yeah, even VMI, especially VMI, because VMI made Mercer work their butts off to get that first couple of touchdowns and then blow them out. So, um, yeah, but Chattanooga is a, an okay team. I think they're figuring some things out, but they're still bumping their head. And uh, they did have enough quality to see off Wofford on Saturday. If they try to play that way against Western Carolina, though, they're going to lose 63-14. to 14. They did have uh, Chattanooga six sacks, so still defensively uh, doing some things. Back end wasn't obviously pushed as much with uh, Paul Seeley as the quarterback, mm-hmm. but, you know, uh, Chattanooga's been very good at pressure. They usually can play some press in a corner position. That's really when they were able to blitz Samford and then play some press man-to-man coverage, obviously. Doing that against teams that maybe aren't particularly great at throwing the football is going to be challenging uh, for a lot of teams, but that was – that was a look at last week. Quick look at the standings. Chattanooga all alone at 3-0, Western 2-0. We'll talk about that more on Thursday. They will lock horns. Furman 1-0, Mercer VMI each 1-1, Sanford 1-2, and still looking for the first win. Wofford 0-2, Citadel 0-2, ETSU 0-1. Four games coming up, and again, we'll break this down later, but it'll be Sanford at Wofford. Citadel will travel to Greenville to take on Furman, and it is Chattanooga at home. Against Western Carolina, and obviously ETSU and Mercer. So that's a yes. quick look at Southern Commerce. Top 25, probably the biggest upset actually happened up there in Fargo, and there were plenty of upsets. In the yes, North Dakota week. State came out flat. South Dakota built a lead and held on for the win. There were no catastrophic injuries. The last time USD beat uh, NDSU, Carson Wentz broke his wrist uh, in, uh, was that, 15. So uh, that's, uh, that's been a minute, uh, but yeah. South Dakota goes into the Fargo Dome, hangs on to a 21-3 halftime lead, and they beat North Dakota State 24-19. to And nothing went right for the Bison. Uh, that is, in, in, at North Dakota State, there is a game every year where everything just goes wrong. And most times they still win it. Sometimes they lose it. The game is known among fan and analyst circles in Fargo as the clunker. It's just nothing's crisp. Guys miss assignments. Nobody understands why it happens, but there's one game every year. And I would not be surprised if we discover in a few weeks after watching this team play a little bit more that that was, in fact, the clunker for North Dakota State. They are one of the few teams in the country that has that happen to them where it's one game that just crumbles. Um, but I, I can't I can't explain why it happens, but it clearly happened to them or something of that nature happened to them on Saturday at the Fargo Dome. That's a, that's a shocker. And certainly a, a resume builder, a signature win for USD as they try to build a – goodness, they try to build a playoff resume 
Uh, and they're yeah, three you're and upset one. About that, apparently. They're three and one. No, uh, no, no, nah, not that much. Um, they're three and one. Um, there are some other surprises. Uh, but they're in the pick six. So some of these were in the pick six, so we don't want to get into them uh, too much. Uh, Rhode Island got a win. Three, they're three and two. I guess that's interesting. Holy Cross lost to Harvard in Worcester, but they played that game at the baseball stadium. Um, and again, that's a game I watched the first half of that game, and I said, "How do you keep making this many just dumb, out of character mistakes?" Maybe Holy Cross had the clunker too, because Holy Cross was clearly the more talented, more explosive team. They had the better quarterback. I thought they had a pretty good game plan overall. They just made baffling mistakes. That's all it came down to. Um, Elsewhere, Sacramento State had to have an interception in the end zone to beat Northern Arizona in the final seconds. Uh, They won that game 31-30, but the Hornets are now 4-1. Lumberjacks are 1-4. The win was over Montana at the walk-up Skydome, and... I think NAU is going to ruin somebody's season. They may have already ruined Montana's season, but they're definitely going to ruin somebody's season. And uh, UT Martin. Is UT Martin good? UT Martin is 4-1. and one. They kind of hung with Georgia a little bit in the first half as Bulldogs got off to a slow start. That's now kind of become an established thing for Georgia, though. Is UT Martin good? That's my question. Are they good, or can they win their league and go to the playoffs? Oh, they can win their league. Yes. If they if they beat SEMO on November on Veterans Day, they're going to win the OVC. And well, they have to also have to beat Eastern Illinois this week in Charleston. They win those two games, they're going to win the conference. So, a couple, I mean, a couple years ago, they had a, a nice team. Wasn't a great team, but a nice team to the playoffs, won the league. And so they so far they remind me of that team. It's a it's a nice team. I don't know they're great, um, but I don't. They're not bad. It's not one of those teams where, you know. I've watched now some Marshall games because obviously Robert Harper's a Marshall fan. He has it on when we're driving. And even he will tell you Marshall was the worst four and team, four and O team in the country. And they just survived. They're bad, but they're winning. That's not the Skyhawks. I don't think they're bad and they're winning. I just think they have a nice team. They've got some nice pieces. They play well together. I watched the first half of that game and I cannot figure out for the life of me how that team ended up with four hundred eighty six yards of offense. They looked just discombobulated. Uh, they looked slow and out of sync. And I guess they figured it out in the second half. So props to the coaching staff for getting them adjusted and, and on target. Uh, North Carolina Central beat Campbell 49-48 in overtime. Big one coming up this week for the Eagles. They're at Elon. We'll get to Elon in just a little bit. Um, that is their last non-conference game. They are currently 4-1. and one. They do have a non-D1 win, and they have Mississippi Valley State on the schedule, but their only loss so far is to UCLA, and they have two wins over CAA teams. Yeah, it's, it's a playoff. Well, it depends on if they win their league, right? You know. Well, they'll go to the Celebration Bowl. Right, uh, unless they finish yep. second in their league. If they beat Elon and then somehow lose to, like, Morgan State, which is not out of the realm of possibility. Morgan State's not been bad. Uh, If they lose to Morgan State and they don't go to the Celebration Bowl, then maybe. And then Weber State had to score 21 points in the fourth quarter to beat Northern Colorado 28-21 in Greeley. I think, was it the Tarleton State game was a good one, too? 
than a one, one point. I think so. Or something I think crazy. so. I'm, I'm beating around the bush on one particular game because it's part of your pick six because it was your extra point. Um, yeah, Tarleton beat Southeastern Louisiana. They held on 14-13 to win it. Southeastern missed an extra point at, at the end. Okay. Southeastern is 0-5. Yeah. What on earth is happening in Hammond, America? That is wild. Anyway. The best games of the week, or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. It's the pick six. You pick that up all by yourself? All right. Last week's pick six. Do you have any thoughts before we announce the results? Um, I forgot every game we took except for I knew I had my PAT or whatever it's called. You did. You did. So I'll let you have that victory lap at the very end. Um, 50-yard line was Eastern Kentucky, North Alabama. We both picked the Colonels on the road, and they delivered. They were up 29-7.5 and and won 32-22 at at Brawley Municipal Stadium in Florence, Alabama. And a, a pretty good game. For Parker McKinney in the first half. He's 14 of 21 for 256. Also had a couple TDs. Uh, didn't throw a couple of picks, but uh, Eastern Kentucky's offense looked legit. They looked like Eastern Kentucky's offense needed to look. And I'm, you know, their defense still needs some things to be desired here and there. I think they're still open. They're still very vulnerable to big plays over the top. But that EKU team looks like the EKU team I thought we would get at the beginning of the season. Central Arkansas at the 40-yard line. Uh, we both picked UCA to go on the road and beat Southern Utah. They did that 29-27. to 27. Southern Utah had the ball at the end, made a mess of it, and could not deliver a game-winning field goal. Um, Will McElvain, the Northern Iowa transfer, 349, three TDs for the, uh, the big cats, I guess is what they're thought of out in uh, Cedar City, but they are actually the Central Arkansas Bears. 30-yard line, Northern Iowa, Youngstown State, and this was a fun one. It went right down to the wire, down to the final, literally the final seconds. This was such a fun football game. Let Let me pull this up for you. Okay, so going into the fourth quarter, Youngstown leads 27 to 23. 10.36 10.36 to go in the third quarter. Theo Day throws a 30-yard touchdown pass. Northern Iowa leads. Um, Tajiri Edwards, 30-yard touchdown run with 5.58 to go in the fourth quarter. And Northern Iowa leads 37-27. to 140 to go in the fourth. In the game, Mitch Davidson, 5-yard pass to Bryce Oliver, 37-34. 125, 15 seconds later, two plays, 15 yards, and Northern Iowa's in the end zone again, 44-34. And then with 32 seconds left, Youngstown State scores again, 44-41. Northern Iowa hangs on for the win. And, and there were 35 points scored in the fourth quarter between the two teams. Very un-Valley-like. Almost felt like a big sky game. Uh, I, you picked Northern Iowa. Got it right. And I picked Youngstown State. Uh, then 20-yard line, William and Mary at Elon. I thought William and Mary might not be everything we were cracking them up to be, and uh, that proved to be a correct vision. They lost at Elon 14-6. to Is William and Mary good? Defensively, I'm going to say 
yes, but they seem to have their issues offensively. Well, here's here's counter, 34 yards passing. Counterpoint to that, uh, there they gave up six points to Wofford, who we know is not a very good offensive team. Right. They gave up seven points to Charleston Southern, who we know is not a very good offensive team. You, you need to lay off Chuck's out. And they gave up three points to Maine, also not a good offensive team. They gave up 24 at Campbell, who is a reasonably good offensive team. Yeah, they 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 run some words. So I don't I don't know. I don't know how good William and Mary's defense is, but I know their offense isn't. Anyway, you picked the tribe to win it. I picked the Phoenix. That's not what that's not the sound the Phoenix makes. Um, the 10-yard line, Villanova at Albany. We both picked Nova and the Great Danes. Uh, humiliated us both by pasting the Wildcats. quite a bit. 31-17. Uh, that was a pretty decisive victory. And then at the goal line, number four, Idaho at number 16, Eastern Washington. I kind of feel bad for you because Kikoa Vesperis didn't play. And Eastern Washington, without their starting quarterback, scrapped and fought and held on and had a chance, but they come up short 44-36 to Idaho. I picked the Vandals to win on the road. You picked the Eagles. Yeah, and again, it's under protest because Keith knew that didn't tell me. So. I didn't know that until oh, the day of the game. I knew that the day of the game. Kyler Neal, shout out SCS Fans Nation. Kyler Neal uh, sent a message in the group chat, said, hey, guys, uh, I don't think our QB1 is going to play. And I said, uh-oh. Uh, which one of us picked Eastern? Because I knew one of us picked Eastern and one of us picked Idaho. I couldn't remember which one it was. I don't either. I remember no. which games are there, but then I always remember no. to forget who I take. Except for the PAT because that's the one I actually. The PAT, I had Indiana over Maryland because I couldn't find a compelling game. That obviously did not happen. Maryland destroyed Indiana as I kind of expected they would. And then the fighting Tom Conrad's knocked off. Charleston the Southern. Wooden, Golden Eagles. Charleston Kennesaw State House. 13 to 10, Charleston Southern gets its second win of the season and its first over a Division I team. They lost the week prior to Western Carolina. That's a brilliant pick. 77 to 21. It's a brilliant pick. And bounced back and beat Kennesaw 13 to 10. Those guys are just in the tank down in Kennesaw. They are just, they're like, you know what? We got nothing to play for. We're, we're playing nine games. We're done. Their season is half over. And uh, the hardest part of their schedule is probably also over because they just finished Charleston Southern that closes up the stretch. They got Tennessee, actually, they have Tennessee State this week. Tennessee State's not bad. Uh, but then they're going to play Lincoln of California, which is a non-counter. And they're going to play the Vault Dragons at the end, which is also a non-counter. Uh, they've got a game at Sam Houston as well on November 4th. They might win. I think, Sam two, I think that's actually Sam Houston's homecoming. They, yeah, they may not beat Tennessee State. They're not going to beat Sam Houston. And then, yeah. They're not going to beat a D1 school this year. There's a very real possibility that they don't beat a D1 school this year, which is kind of remarkable. Given, I mean, they have, you know, they are they have they always been good teams? No, but they've won a lot of games, right? It's just they didn't lose any head scratchers. I'll give them that. Like they may not have been dominant, but they usually didn't lose head scratchers. Yeah, they get blown out by Monmouth every now and then, but you're like, ah, eh, well, those two teams play for the Big South, and it's one game, and blah, blah, blah. You can kind of yada yada it away, as you like to do. But, um, I like to do that. Yes. Uh, that's it. Uh, pick six records. This week you went four and three because you hit your extra point. I went four and two. 
after week five, Jay is 16 and 16, and Keith is 22 and 11. That's it. That's all I got. That's all you got. That's all you got. All right. Homecoming week. Homecoming week. ETSU Mercer, 3.30 kick Saturday. We'll break it down Thursday. We'll do a new pick six. Rick Cameron. And, and Friday night, men's soccer at UNCG. Big one. The big one. Against the Spartans, who probably overscheduled. They're 1-7-3, and, and they played the number 3, 13, and 14 teams in the country. It's rough. And they're, they're like ETSU. They just need goals. So this, both these teams have struggled to score. I would not be the least bit shocked if it turns out to be like 3-2 or 3 tight. Well, both looking for the first conference win. Yes, Bucks because they're playing their second conference game. Bucks tied Wofford. Bucks got a point. UNCG no points. Lost to Furman. Good teams shouldn't lose to Furman. Back Thursday. Back here, Don't lose to Furman. No, I'm kidding. I love you, Furman. No, oh, you got to be kidding me.